Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mahita Talks. I'm your host, Sherry Altergat from the CX Edge. Today, I'm very excited to welcome Mr. John Clark. He's the Director of Marketing at Steel King Industries. Welcome, John. Hey, Sherry. Glad to be here. Well, we met briefly at the Mahina Convention, which was only a few months ago, but at this point, it seems like a lifetime ago. True, true, true. <laughs> so much has happened. Um, and we were talking a little bit about changes in material handling and supply chain issues. And so I think that's such a great topic to talk about for this episode that you've graciously joined us for. So thank you for that. Um, I always like to start, and you know, I know that you have a really long history within the industry itself at a number of different companies. And I always like to start with how you got really into the the industry itself. So could you give us a little bit of background on your material handling journey? Okay, uh, it's been a long journey. I've been in the material handling space for about uh, 25 years. And like a lot of people, you fall into it. Uh, I started, actually got to it because I was a tech writer uh, for a uh, consulting agency and started working on an assignment at a on the software side of material handling uh, for a company that became Red Prairie and became whatever the other iterations were. So this was in the mid '90s, and from that, uh, you know, started in the WMS space, uh, moved into the systems and, and automation side of it, and then also have had time in the robotics and AGV AMR space. Um, I've been at Steel King uh, since uh, February of, of this year and um, excited about uh, what uh, we at, at Steel King can do as it relates to the entire supply chain. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing with us. It's, I think it's one of those spaces that nobody thinks they're going into until they're actually in it. <laughs> and once you're in it, we um, joke that it's like being in the mafia, that it's hard to get out. But like us, you're in it and you discover how cool the supply chain really is. If there's one thing that we kind of learned as a positive from coming out of COVID was that it really shined a spotlight on the supply chain and how what all of us do within it uh, help society. I couldn't agree more. I mean, 10 years ago at you know, a party or a social gathering not related to the industry. When I tried to explain to people what we do, you know, I always had to just use Amazon as sort of an example just to make that visual representation. Um, but I think the supply chain has impacted so many people's personal lives that it's really gained such tremendous attention over the last few years, which is which oh, is good. It very much um, is. I, I was going to say, I always I look at the UPS did a bunch of commercials many years ago about what can Brown do for you. The like, same sort of thing that you purchased a product. How did it get there? How did it get to you? And how were you able to, you know, just all of that process and people finally went, oh, yeah, okay, got it. Right. Yeah. So they've it's helped us along to give us a little more credibility that I wasn't lying to my parents about what I was doing. It was a real thing. Um, so kind of sticking on the topic of supply chain and really focusing on really the, the post-COVID world that we're in now, what would you say are some of the biggest market drivers that are impacting companies within the supply chain? I think the biggest factor right now is access to labor. 
Um, you know, we're, we're all having trouble finding, uh, attracting, retaining labor to do the various things, which, you know, is, is driving some of us more to, to into more automation than ever before. But I think then the other is to stay innovative and continue to look to how we solve problems for our customers. And that's why we're here is our customers have, you know, something that's keeping them up at night. They can't, they can't access inventory or they can't do something, all of these things. And that's, if we keep that in mind of how we solve problems, it just keeps us on that, on that path uh, for helping customers. Yeah. And I think, you know, when, when COVID first happened, I think we've all gone through a lot of emotions over the last several years. Um, but there's a very true reality that COVID wasn't a one-time event, that it something like this could happen again in the future. Nobody really knows what that looks like. And I think prior to COVID, um, nobody really thought about something shutting down our society in the capacity in which it did. Now that it's happened, I think a lot of companies are looking on the other side of it saying, you know, we got through it, but it was really hard and what are we gonna do next time? So right. I, I yeah. know a lot of companies are in that space of really, they got through it, but really looking towards the future and addressing some of those labor issues that you had mentioned. So how would you say supply chain companies are modifying their operations to really ward against potential future outbreaks like what we just had? Well, I think one of the things that, that COVID showed us is that really our supply chain was, was a house of cards. And, and COVID created that perfect storm that in the world we had, everything was you know lined up. We had algorithms to tell us how much people purchased, when they purchased it, and all of these patterns. And once one of those, those cogs fell apart, it, it just created that, that total collapse. So I think what companies are, are trying to do now is to build in some, some flexibility into their supply chain. You know, not just working with one supplier, working with multiple suppliers, uh, having safety stock. You know, while there's excess cost or added cost to, to have more stock on hand, that kind of evens out the lumps that you experience in the supply chain. Um, I think another is, you know, you're seeing in a, in a greater scale, maybe that that onshoring that, you know, are there ways we can bring our manufacturing or some of these things back to the U.S. so that you're not waiting for it uh, on a ship or you're waiting for it through customs or all of those things that trying to just be a little bit more flexible uh, in what we're doing and to, again, to, to not have to uh, deal with, uh, you know, COVID or similar uh, problems. All right. And flexibility, I think, is such a, a big key to that. I think supply chains need to be built flexible because we don't know <laughs> what the next we thing don't, is. We don't. I mean, we see it a little bit, say, when, when you know, but, but more regionally, if a, if a hurricane hits somewhere and mm -hmm. all of a sudden stores are out of, you know, out of uh, the, the, the panic buying happens, so they're out of water, or out of essentials, and, and we're you know a little bit able to deal with that. But when it happened on such a massive scale, it was it was it, it caught all of us off guard. So I think you know by building that flexibility uh, is really one of the keys to you know being able to survive another one. And you know when we're talking about in recent days, well, really for the last few years. You know, other than just supply chain capacity and limitations for labor, 
um, there's been a lot of talk of supply chain shortages and a lot of those shortages being in some of the raw materials you need to make you know, equipment or computers and chips and, and things like that. So how have the material, how have the supply chain shortages limited the material handling's industry's ability to satisfy those market demands? Well, I think, you know, we, we've all seen it, you know, going, going to Starbucks, oh, we're out of this, we're out of that, you know, going to a restaurant, uh, chain restaurant saying we, you know, due to a coin shortage, we only only can accept you know either exact change or uh, you know using a, a credit or debit card. I think at some point the market is going to get to that because we're all feeling it. We're going to get that I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore moment. And what I mean is, you know, we 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 business travel. You go to travel and they tell you, well, you know, we're only going to uh, be able to do room service or, or service housekeeping every third day, but our prices aren't lower because we're paying the same price and getting less. And I think people are going to start getting not just frustrated and not doing something about it, but frustrated and doing something about it, meaning shopping uh, where there is better service or better supplies. And, you know, companies are going to be forced to, you know, on the labor side, either increase wages or attract more labor. If people are just it's like going to a restaurant that's, half full because half the restaurant areas is closed because they don't have servers. We're, we're getting, we're getting, I'm at least getting sick of that. And I think others are as well. And I think that will force, start to force some of that change within the market. I agree. And if you look at the material handling side, you know, in terms of supplying sub distribution manufacturing companies with the equipment and material they need, to more effectively fulfill their customers' demands. You know, I know specifically on the forklift side, they just didn't have the capacity to make forklifts at the rate in which customers needed to buy them. Because just from a capacity planning perspective, like you said, nobody knew or expected this is gonna happen. Um, you know, I, I'm curious how Steel King kind of addressed some of those issues. And I know some of it's before the time that you started there. Um, but, you know, in that space, did you guys face an issue where there was more demand for your product than there was supply at the time? I, I think all of us in the space experienced it, you know, where we saw lead times go out farther and farther and farther, um, access to, to our, to raw materials, that, you know, that we need, you know, in our case, steel and others, um, you know, we didn't experience any point where we had to shut down operations. I think we also planned, you know, quite extensively to try to avoid that. But some of the things that we did um, is adjusting on the labor side to go to, uh, you know, adding a shift or doing a weekend only shift and, you know, rewarding uh, the employees that, okay, the weekend only shift might not be the full 40 hours, but making it such so that we're trying to attract more labor uh, to, to address, you know, the, the increase but also then looking at uh, adding automation into our operation, into our manufacturing to help. Because, you know, if, if there's a repeatable task that's being done, inserting tab A and slot B or, or what have you, if you can automate that, that allows the, the, the more skilled work to be done by the labor and automate what you can. So we've been looking at doing a lot of that in our operation, and I can imagine that others are doing that as well. 
Yeah, it's interesting, especially when we, when we get on the topic of automation that, you know, 10 years ago and even talking to certain clients about automating their facilities, you know, there was a fear of, well, if I automate whatever task, I'm going to lay off X number of workers. And so on, you know, the, the manufacturing floor, there's a lot of fear of automation just because it essentially takes jobs away from what they're exactly doing. Where you well, it, to today. it does, but it doesn't. I mean, it's, I, I get what you're saying, but it's like, it's allowing a company or to do more with the labor they have. And it's not a, it's not a removal of labor, it's a reallocation. And I think what people say that, okay, I mean, if your job is, if your job is doing something that's easily automatable, should there be concern? I, I, I guess there should be some, but also that we all have the ability to retrain and to, and to modify what we're doing. I write press releases as part of my job. If you, if you read what, what's out there, AI technology is beginning to automatically write those. Now, will it do it the same way or exactly the same way as, as a person? You know, not right now, but it could. And if that's the case and I'm still in the workforce when that happens, then I would adjust and say, oh, great. I don't have to write press releases. I can do this. And I think you're starting, you know, that if you're in, in the labor side, it's easy to have that feeling that someone's, you know, the, the robots are taking my job or automation is taking my job. But we just want to allocate and have reallocate into another area because there's a lot of work that needs people to do it that, that you can't automate. And it'd be great to be able to get that done while the automation is happening in parallel. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's it's understanding and educating of where that allocation goes and, and training people on those appropriate skills. I think it's hard for everybody to see where they fit in an automated environment if they're not currently in one. Um, but to, in today's job market, for every single job posting, um, for every person that's looking for a job, there's about two and a half job openings. Um, so that hasn't quite affected the overall labor market as people believed it would, you know, years ago when companies started automating. So that's well, been... and you know, people people fear change. Uh, you know, right. I, I, it's it's human nature. Um, I know when I was in the the AGV space, they would say that well, the AGVs don't call in sick, don't take breaks, will work on a holiday. You know, they do those sorts of things. But the other thing that happened is the automation also created entirely new sets of jobs that people had to maintain the automation, had to supervise it and so on. So it's it's also creating jobs and not necessarily taking them away. That the net the net gain is a positive versus the reduction. Because and many of those jobs are better paid jobs, you know, more longevity jobs. So I think that's yeah. all very much in the positive. And I think COVID, not that, I think that shift was coming, but I think COVID made that shift come at a much faster rate. Oh, certainly. I mean, certainly. It probably added, you know, five years of, of the speed to it. Um, you know, it, it, also, it also focused labor that, you know, not in the manufacturing side, but for example, with what I do and people like me, we don't have to be in the corporate office all the time in order to do it. And I think uh, COVID also showed that remote work, which people have been saying for years and years and years, hey, measure me by what I do, not where I happen to be sitting when I do it. But that also pushed that more to the forefront 
that and it, it's become a positive for companies to say we don't we want the best people it doesn't matter what city they're in or where they're located or maybe even what time zone they're in we want the best people and I, so i think it's been a positive in that side too agreed agreed they don't even care if they're green bay packer fans well it usually is a requirement but sometimes you know not everybody can be a green bay packer fan where <laughs> Um, you know, where do you kind of looking forward? We talked in the beginning a little bit about how companies are changing um, as they look ahead. Where do you see material handling technology ahead in kind of like the next 10 years or so? Well, I, you know, I, I think staying on the topic, you're, you're going to see more automation, looking at uh, automation of repetitive non-value add tasks. And I think that's the key to it that if someone is, is purely um, moving something from A to B and not adding a value or, you know, those sorts of items, if that can be automated, um, I think you're going to see more and more of that uh, in, in, in the future. Um, I think faster than it would have been had COVID not been the case. I think, but I think you're also going to see, you know, that technology that builds more flexibility into the supply chain um, so that um, whether it's shared inventories or you know um, maybe more vendor managed inventory just different things so that you have safety stuff so that when there are those lumps in the supply chain we're better able to address them um switching gears just a little bit we talked about labor and the amount of jobs that are available and the amount of people that are available for those jobs. The, the material handling industry is seeing those same trends. Um, and we have a lot of new people coming into the space, whether they're changing industries or they're coming out of college, but there's definitely more jobs available than there are people to fill them right now within the industry. Um, so what advice would you give to people that are just kind of starting out in material handling? I, I think, you got to be a sponge. You got to take it all in um, and, and, and embrace the embrace the sexiness of the supply chains. I mean that you know it, it's easy to say, oh, I, you know, I'm an orchid. It'd be easy, oh, I'd love to go work for Coca-Cola or you know some cool whatever. Our space is cool, and I think by embracing that and soaking in as much knowledge as you can, you know we we have this huge uh disparity right now of people that have a tremendous amount of experience in our industry and new people coming right in and you know you have to ask you got to ask the questions not all of those experienced people uh are going to be just pouring knowledge on you because they had to learn by themselves so um you know find a mentor you know someone that that's in either you know in the same space you are maybe the same sort of position doesn't have to be at the same company but you know it's also good to have one at the company you're at to to help you grow you know to to you know expand your knowledge um, i'd extend that out even to different associations you can belong to Mahita, mhi and others and groups within those organizations because your peers there are experiencing the same same points in their career the same issues same concerns so if you work with them it's at least someone that you can you can complain to that says yeah i know what you're talking about i have it too or you can collectively help you know solve those problems you know, for, for the group so i think that's a big area 
Um, but yeah, and, and learning just how cool our supply chain is because it's uh, there's going to be a, even if you think there's a lot of jobs available now, you've got you know a generation of baby boomers that are retiring, and there's going to be even more. And if you're not that sponge soaking in the information and that knowledge, they're going to leave, and then you're going to be stuck in a vacuum of having to survive without knowing there's a lot of tribal knowledge at these companies that okay talk to bob he's been here 45 years he knows everything well bob retires bob gets hit by a bus bob whatever we don't have that knowledge so get it collect it and, and, and use it agreed agreed um all right john well you have actually made it to our lightning round of I just want to make sure you're ready for this because I have no idea to what to expect here. So, um, all right, I'll do my best. I have, I have ten kind of get to know you questions. It's a lightning round, so you can't take a lot of time to think about it. It's okay. Kind of first answers. I try to start off easy, and they get significantly more challenging as we go. Is there going to be math involved? Well, I have to. No math. No math. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um. All right. When you're not working. How do you spend your time? Um, I coach soccer, uh, specifically soccer goalkeepers. Uh, I run two to three camps a year and also work at others. So I, I'm helping to uh, groom the uh, next uh, generation of uh, soccer goalkeepers. That's my passion. Awesome. What is the first concert you attended? First concert I attended was the Tubes back in 1985 in Quant Gym at University of Wisconsin Stevens Point. Woo, no <laughs> that was a good recall. What's the one thing about you that surprises people? Um, probably that I worked as a radio DJ and uh, DJed weddings way back in the day. <laughs> that would be a fun job. What's something you say you'll do, but you actually never would? Um, completely organize my garage. Uh, it's a continual <laughs> work in progress. <laughs> What's one of your biggest work pet peeves? Biggest work pet peeves? Ah, meetings that go round and round and round, and <laughs> the horse has been dead for. 20 minutes, yet we're still talking about a topic when we should have taken it offline or should have just made a decision. Mm -hmm. Great. What do you do to turn things around when you're having a bad day? Um, I try to, uh, you know, from, from Ted Lasso, be a goldfish. Uh, try to forget about it. Try to recalibrate. Um, you know, I, I work from home, so if it's a real bad moment, uh, you try to just go outside, get some fresh air. Um, it it kind of goes back to my uh, coaching goalkeeper. If something's not going right, if I'm getting shelled and having a bad day, I say, if, if you don't like what you're watching on TV, what are you doing? Change the channel. Same thing. You got to change the channel. You got to shake it up somehow. So something to you know, recalibrate and keep going because maybe having a bad day, but that day isn't over, so you got to make it through. Great. Do you still live near where you grew up? Uh, no. I grew up in central Wisconsin. Ironically, the town I grew up in is where Steel King is headquartered. Um, so right. um, I, I, it is a, 
six hour drive or shorter if I take a ferry across Lake Michigan. <laughs> Would you rather be Batman or Superman? Ooh, I mean, Batman's cooler. Uh, you know, just the I'm Batman. But uh, you know, Superman. I mean, you know, dude, you got the X-ray. You can fly. You can do all that stuff. Probably be Superman. <laughs> what trend do you hope makes a comeback? Well, I've been saying groovy for for 25 years plus. So I don't know if I want that to come back. So you know, then then I'm with the cool kids, or if it never comes back, I'm always ahead of the cool kids by, right. by saying groovy. <laughs> And last one, what's one totally irrational fear that you have? Ah, oh, boy. I'm not, I, I don't like heights, but that's that's fairly rational. Um, okay, it's not really a fear, but it gives me the total heebie-jeebies. And that's seeing kids or people run in flip-flops because that's just a split second away from the tip of that flip-flop and bam. And every time I see kids running, I'm like, yeah, he's a little afraid they're gonna just do a face plant. Mm. So I, I'd say that's pretty irrational. Well, John, you successfully made it through our lightning round. And sadly, that brings us to the end of our time together. Um, is there any parting words you'd like to leave our listeners with? Just experience it uh, in this space. Lots to learn and uh, keep learning. Well, thank you so much for being a part of our podcast and for being part of Mejita. And um, hopefully we'll see you again real soon. Sounds good. Look forward to seeing people at next year's conference. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Mejita Talks. See you next time.